0: Hey, good morning, thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens, I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Atrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Today, we're talking about faith plus, faith minus. You say, what do you mean by that? Uh, you'll find out in a minute. Let's read it. Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good report. The ancients, the people of old, got a stamp of approval. Got, they were said that they were righteous by God uh, because of their faith. Verse 3, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. I have two points for you this morning, one from verse number three and one from verse number four. And the first point is this, faith plus, faith plus what? Faith plus reasoning. Real faith intersects with our intellect. And I know we touched on this briefly last week, but part of the beauty of covering a series and and walking through a portion of the Bible is that you get to circle back around to the common themes that are in uh, the text of Hebrews chapter number 11 and slice them from different angles. We understand That's the Greek word neo. You know what that word means? That means that we perceive with our mind. We think. We ponder. Some of you even said it this way: we conclude from the evidence. What this is saying is that faith intersects with our intellect. We understand. We think. We ponder. We conclude from the evidence. We do not dodge our intellect. Now, I want you to think about this process. We reason, we think, we understand, and then by faith, we commit ourselves to something. That process of our faith in God and our faith in his word is no different than what we do really every day of our lives. If you have a medical issue and you need a surgery, you may get a second opinion so that you can have someone else think through it with you. Then you're going to look at which hospital, which doctor. The hospital I go to matters. The doctor I use matters. Not all surgeons are created equal. I want to get a good one. And you're going to look and ponder. But eventually, when you decide that you want to elect for the surgery, although you have engaged your intellect as best you can, you have to come to a point where you say, I will put myself on the table. And that's a scary proposition. Put an IV in my arm. Put me to sleep with all these drugs which I generally try to avoid, but in this instance, put me to sleep, and then take a knife and start to cut me open. How'd you do that? How, how did you willingly lay down on the table? By faith. Without or with your intellect, though? With your intellect, right? Faith doesn't go around your intellect. Faith goes through it. And what Hebrews 11 verse 3 is saying is that this is the way faith works. You don't suspend your intellect. You don't put your brain on the shelf. You actually engage your intellect. And many times when someone comes to faith, they will testify to the fact that I feel like I'm really thinking for the first time. I feel like I'm actually thinking through the world and how it works. And, And I have a baseline for decision making that is more substantial than ever before. And I'm really thinking now. And what verse 3 says is let's take a look at the universe. Let's take a look at how we account for life. Let's start to talk about the origins of life. And what it says is by faith we understand, we perceive, we ponder, we think that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now everybody has some sort of theory of how they believe the universe came to be and how life came to be. And everybody starts with a theory, whether they're secular or not, whether they're Christian or not, whether they're an atheist or not, they start with a theory, something that cannot be proven empirically, but is a theory. The atheist will start with the premise that there is no God. Now, can an atheist prove empirically that there is no God? No, but they start with that theory. And they will say, I believe what best accounts for the evidence and what best accounts for the reality of life that I see in front of me is the premise that there is no God. That, a, that best accounts for it. And Christians are people that say, we believe that the premise that there is no God does not account for the reality. This is something that we believe by faith, but it is not faith without our intellect. We look at the evidence of what's around us in the world, and we say, does the idea that there's no God, and there's no intelligent design, and no one created this, does that account for the evidence fairly? Does it make sense to us that somehow order would come out of chaos, there would be a big bang and a big explosion, and out of that, just... Happenstance. It just so happened that there is an immaculately tuned world and that life can exist and that all this order and all this design and who we are and how our world works and all the systems, that, that that just came out of chaos? Does that account for reality? If I told you that I put right here uh, a big sack of paper, I put 10 reams of paper right here, and then I put a couple bottles of ink over here, and then I put a bomb in the middle, and over here I put some glue... And I, I put the timer on the bomb for a minute, and I walked out of the room, and the bomb exploded. And wouldn't you know it, when all that paper and all that ink and all that glue exploded, out of that explosion was just boom, ta-da, there was sitting a Bible. There it was, cover to cover, paper folded neatly, in line, page after page, word after word. It, all, it just produced the Bible, this, this unbelievably ordered book. You'd say, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That does not account for reality at all. Well, the premise that there is no God and that order came out of chaos and this big explosion just produced order is the same premise. And we look at that and say, no, 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 That doesn't make sense. I'm engaging my brain and my brain tells me that that does not, I've never seen that. Does the premise that there is no God make sense that, that there would be biological life that comes from from non-biological life? But even if you had an explosion and it produced this finely ordered immaterial thing or material thing that, that was not biological, that somehow life would come out of that, Just it just I don't know how it did. It just did. No. That doesn't make sense of what we see. Would it make sense to us that even if life came out of that, there was this chaos and order came out of it. And out of the order somehow, biological life came out of that. And in our biological life, we as humans now, we now have finely uh, tuned bodies and we also have this thing called a moral compass that century after century after century, culture after culture after culture, there are people who believe uniformly that murdering each other is wrong. That we shouldn't go murder each other. Would would that happen if we were just random? If there's no God, there's, there's no moral basis, there's no higher being that could say right, wrong, evil, righteousness, that can't happen. Now it's just a matter of what's pragmatic. You can't tell me that anything is right and wrong. Does any of that account for reality? And Christian people are people who say, no, it does not. We are not, and some would suggest this in our modern society, and it irks me to all ends and i'm not i'm not angry this morning but i am i'm a little bit peeved okay it irks me that, to no end that there are people who will portray uh, accounts of creation and thinking about the origins of life as, well, there are these people that are secular, they're atheists, and they have science, and they have data, and they have all these things, and all this evidence, and they, and they believe this because of this mountain of evidence. And then there's these Christian people over here, and these people, they have no evidence. Actually, they have the evidence to the contrary, and they look at it, and they say, no, I don't care about evidence. It's out of here. I throw you in the trash. I am going to believe and take a blind leap of faith off the cliff without any evidence whatsoever, just because the Bible says so. That's crazy. It's crazy. Faith goes through logic. Faith goes through rationale. Faith goes through evidence. There is a mountain of evidence, not just for origins and that there is a creator God, but for our faith, for the resurrection, that Jesus was real, that he came, that he lived, that he died. There's mountains of evidence, and we don't ignore that. We don't set that to the side. Faith understands. Faith ponders. Faith thinks. That's what it does. You have a a beautiful moment of this in John chapter number 20, where Peter and John come to faith, that they, for the first time, put their faith in a risen Lord. And here's the account of it. Mary Magdalene comes to them on Easter morning and says, guys, um, the tomb's empty, and Jesus rose. And they say, "Mm, nah, not buying it, but we're going to go see for ourselves. So they run to the tomb. And they get to the tomb, and here's, here's what it says, uh, verse number four of John 20. They ran both together. The other disciple did outrun Peter, talking about John. And he came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down, he looked in, saw the one in clothes lying, yet went he not in. So John gets there first, and he t- does peekaboo. He looks in and says, Okay, there's no really nope, no one's in there, but there's some clothes lying there, and he stops. Then, six, cometh Simon Peter following him, and he went into the sepulchre, and he seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lined with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Here's what it says. John came, he looks, he peeks in, Peter comes, and it says that Peter seeth the linen clothes and the napkin, and the napkin isn't with the clothes, but the napkin's folded neatly, and he begins to observe all of this, and that word seeth is the word theoreo. It's where we get our word theorize. Peter... Goes in not believing that Jesus had risen from the dead, and if you keep reading to verse number nine, for as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. It wasn't this faith came by the word of God sort of thing. It makes it very clear. They walk in, and Peter begins to theorize, and all of a sudden, as he's there theorizing, engaging the brain, the, the wheels are turning. He's working at it. He's pondering. Then they believe. The penny drops. Right. Without the intellect, without the brain, without theorizing, no, no. After using the brain, and the idea that faith would somehow just be, let's all just have some faith, and let's all just do this, and let's not think about it, let's let's not ask questions. No, 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 no. And what the Bible says to you is, lay yourself on the table and say, "Jesus, I'm yours." You get the knife. Lay yourself on the table and say, "I absolutely believe that you created the worlds, but do it through understanding." Do it through the intellect. Don't avoid that. But then you get to verse four, and you get kind of the mainstay of what Hebrews 11 is: by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. This is faith minus. There's faith plus your rationale. Our faith, real faith intersects with our intellect. Peter would tell us that we need to gird up the loins of our mind. That means get ready to think, get ready to use your brain. But then you find faith minus in verse number four. Faith minus what? Faith minus religiosity. And true faith will begin to discern the disciples. It will divide the disciples. It will begin to let you know who's a real disciple and who's not a real disciple. You say, what do you mean? this is in all of Hebrews chapter number 11 out of all the people that are mentioned it's the only one that comes to us by way of contrast where it says here's Abel he's a man that had faith and it contrasts him with his brother Cain The Abel's sacrifice was more excellent than that of Cain so here's two brothers same mama, same daddy both the brothers believe that there's a God both the brothers are worshippers Both the brothers bring sacrifice in their worship. Both the brothers bring their work product as sacrifice in worship. Cain is a tiller of the ground. He's a gardener. He's a farmer. And so he brings, we don't know what exactly, fruits, vegetables, bread, I don't know. But he brings the fruit of his labor and his work product and he offers it as a sacrifice to God, believing in God. And then here's Abel, who is a keeper of the sheep, and he brings his work product. He brings a, a lamb, a little lamb, And he offers that, if you can read about it in Genesis chapter number 4, as a sacrifice to God. You say, well, they're both worshiping. That's the most important thing. No, no, no. One of them is accepted and one of them is rejected. According to Genesis chapter number 4, God had respect unto Abel's offering, but he did not have respect unto Cain's offering. And Cain got ticked about it. He was wroth and his countenance fell and he killed his brother because of it. If you read in Hebrews 11, it puts it this way, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. You can read about it in 1 John chapter number 3, who tells us that Cain's works were evil and the works of Abel were righteous. All right, what's up with this? Why, why is God discriminating like this? It kind of, on, on face value, seems like they're doing the same thing here. Two brothers, they both believe in God. They both want to worship God. They both want to sacrifice to God. They both want to bring their work product as sacrifice to God. They seem pretty similar. Is God just being arbitrary? Did he play any, me, any, mo? Why is one accepted and why is one not? And the reason we are given these two very similar yet dissimilar people, brothers, is because the Bible teaches us there's a foundational difference in the human race. And there's really only one big difference in the human race. There's one big, cataclysmic, foundational line of division. And it is not a racial one. It is not a political one. It is, a, it is not a socioeconomic one. This is a line that runs in between families, in between communities, in between nations, in between the people in this room even. Now I don't know where to put you That's between you and the Lord. But in this room, there is a line of demarcation, and there are Cain's and there are Abel's. Cain's offering was an offering of religiosity. It was an offering of good works. You say, where are you getting that, Pastor? Prove it. I will. Thank you. Jude. Here's what Jude says. What they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things, they corrupt themselves. That sound good or bad? Sounds kind of negative, right? woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. One more time. But what they know naturally is brute beast, in those things they do corrupt themselves, woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. Now let's untangle that. This is saying there are many people who are like unthinking animals. They are as brute beasts. There's animals who just trust their instincts. They do whatever their instincts tell them. That's why it says they do what they know naturally, as brute beasts. And in so doing, they bring upon themselves destruction. When they trust their instincts as just natural animals, as as it were, they corrupt themselves. They bring destruction unto themselves. So woe unto those people, because that is the way of Cain. What did Cain do? Cain trusted his instincts, Say, do tell, Cain is the founder of the world's first false religion and the first false religion is the prototype for every false religion that was going to follow, but Cain trusted his instincts and essentially said, I want to earn God's favor and I want to earn good report, righteous, well done, you're approved, God having respect under my sacrifice and I'm going to earn it by my work. I'm going to earn it by my merit. I'm going to earn it by my effort. I am going to earn this just by being good and trying my best. According to Cain, you have to earn salvation. you got to pay the price for it. That is, I am going to try to take my work product, my effort, my best, I'm going to bring it to God, and I'm going to work under the hypothesis that my best will somehow get God to smile at me, and now he'll see me as righteous, now he will accept me, now I can go to heaven with him. And what God says is, no, I don't work that way. And Abel is a testimony to us. Of saving faith. What did Abel do? Well, we know this. Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. How did he offer a more excellent sacrifice? He offered it by faith. Faith in what? Abel's in Genesis 4 making a sacrifice. Certainly, Abel would have known the story of Genesis number 3 from his mama and his daddy. That's the story of Adam and Eve falling, them sinning. And what happens in Genesis chapter number 3 is extremely profound. And Abel, the penny dropped and he, he got it. It sunk in when he came to sacrifice. First of all, Adam and Eve sin, And with their sin, when they were previously naked and unashamed, now uh, they, they don't want to be vulnerable anymore. They feel very exposed because of their sin. They feel a lot of shame and guilt because of their sin. And so they construct for themselves a clothing to cover themselves. And they begin to hide from God. And God comes looking for them, and he finds them, and he pulls them out, and he says, hey, where'd where'd you get your fig apron? Uh... And God tells them, that's not going to do. That covering's not going to do. That fruit of the ground, those those figs, that's not going to do. I need to make you some some skins of, some coat skins, some, some skins from animals. And presumably, does a blood sacrifice of sorts, and takes those skins and clothes Adam and Eve. And then he says to them, There's a curse coming for Eve and there's a curse coming for Adam, but he he curses the serpent first, he curses Satan. And he says, Satan beguiled you, Satan tricked you, but rest assured, Satan's going to get his. And there's going to come one day, this is what theologians call the proto-evangelium, the first account of the gospel ever recorded for us in the Bible. There is going to come one day, via the seed of woman, a human that I will send, And he will take the devil and he will destroy him. He will squash him. But in the process, he will be wounded. And you fast forward to Genesis chapter number four. And while we do not know everything that went through Abel's mind when he sacrificed, and we do not know every prayer that he prayed when he sacrificed, we can rest assured that his sacrifice was by faith and he's understood enough that when he stepped up to the altar and he offers a lamb and he offers a blood sacrifice, that he says to the Lord, Lord, I don't know how all this works. I'm not sure that I get all the ins and outs, but I know enough to know that I, I, I can't do this on my own. And just as my parents needed that sacrifice to cover them, I need this. Just as you're going to send the wounded one, I present to you the wounded one in a blood sacrifice of a lamb, and I give this to you, and by faith, I trust that you will somehow accept this, not because of who I am, but because of what I'm doing. Whereas Abel stepped up, or Cain stepped up, and Cain said, here's my best, here's here's what I got, let me offer to you what is is my best, Lord, accept me on this basis, and while on the outside they look the same, God says, no, they were different. One was religious. One trusted in himself. One's the way of Cain. It's evil. It's wrong. Don't do it. It's instinctual, but don't do it. And one is right. One is a heart of faith trusting in me. And God chose to take that and down through the centuries, use that as a way to scream of the sacrifice that was coming. And so what happens? It's not just Abel. Noah steps off the ark and he offers a blood sacrifice. And Abraham is called into the promised land, and once he gets there, he's told to go up on Mount Moriah and offer a blood sacrifice. And it's a bit bit confusing to Abraham, but by the time he gets up there, what does he find? He finds in the thicket a ram, a male lamb, with these thorns wrapped around its head. Right? He he finds this lamb with a crown of thorns, and God says, that's the sacrifice, offer that. You get to Moses. Moses. The Passover is coming. What is the Passover? That the death angel would pass over you if you take a male lamb and you sacrifice it and you put the blood on the doorpost. You can't put good poetry on the doorpost. You can't put diamonds and jewels on the, blood, on the, on the doorpost. You can't put a live lamb there. You have to put the blood. It's a blood sacrifice. Put it there and I'll pass over you. My judgment will not be upon you. You get past Moses and you find that they start the temple and immediately there are sacrifices that begin to be made. And then the temple's torn down and so they come and Ezra and Nehemiah and they rebuild the temple and there, what's the first thing they build? An altar and they begin the sacrifices again. Why? Why all this blood? Why all this guts? Why all this gore? And why don't we do this today? I've never offered a lamb or a sacrifice or some sort of goat or anything like that. That's bizarre. That's weird because it all pointed to That there was a permanent sacrifice coming, a sacrifice once and for all, as Hebrews would say, that was coming for us on our behalf. And the Lord Jesus, who John would say is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, who would give of himself, who would shed his blood, who would be our sacrifice. And we look back now to that by faith, by the way of Abel. And if we will go away from the way of Cain and trusting ourselves or our baptism or our our good works or reading the Bible or praying or any of the rest of it, being a good dad, whatever, move away from that, but move to the way of Abel and saying, by faith, I trust in the sacrifice, not in myself. Then the same thing happens that happened with Abel. What happened? God gave witness. Read the verse, verse number four. God gave witness And God gave testimony that he was righteous. Did Abel operate by faith because he was a righteous man? Or was he a righteous man because he operated by faith? And the latter is true. It wasn't that he was inherently good in and of himself. But because he had by faith trusted in the sacrifice. God said, even though, rest assured, Abel had his foibles. Abel had his problems. But God said, because of your faith, you're righteous. Not because of your works, because of your faith. And the same is true to this day. He being dead yet speaks. He still preaches a sermon. Whether you realize it or not, this morning you had a sermon from a dead man. He still speaks that we trust in the sacrifice and in the finished work of Jesus on the cross as a lamb slain without blemish. The plan of God from the foundation of the world. That we rest in him and we trust in him. And if we will put our faith and trust in him and him alone, then he says, you're righteous. Heaven is your home. You are mine. You have my smile. And boy, that's we're celebrating. Because I don't know about you, I'd get real worked up if it depended on me. That seems very anxiety-ridden to me. Does it not? How do I know if I did enough good? How, how do I know if my goods gonna outweigh my bad? Does it have to just 51% to 49%? 60-40? 70-30? 90-10? What's the ratio? Am I hitting the ratio? That produces a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety and no rest. But when it's not about me and it's not about my resume, but it's about his referral, whew, I can rest in that. Heaven's not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. The people that have said, I got nothing, but I trust by faith in you, Jesus. And then he saves us. Now, we're going to pray in a minute. We're going to have communion in a minute. And communion is meant for us to look back, not just at the Passover that happened, but when Jesus at the Passover sat there and said, whole new ball game, fellas. I'm going to be the sacrifice. My body will be broken and my blood will be shed. And I will be the sacrifice once and for all. Trust in me and rest in me. And if you have never done that, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, but you have operated fundamentally by the way of Cain and by your good works, I want to invite you this morning to put your faith and your trust squarely, solely, exclusively on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll save you. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the Word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time. I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.